Hello everyone, and welcome to this very special episode of the Cineposium Podcast. My name is Alex Apicella, and today I am curating for you what I believe to be the greatest episode of TV of all time. Hannibal, Season 2, Episode 13, Mizumono. If you want to know why this is the greatest episode of TV of all time, stick around and find out. When the moment comes. When the moment comes. Will you do what needs to be done? Oh, yes. As I had started to originally conceptualize what I wanted this episode to take the form of, um, I had thought of a specially curated list of the top five greatest episodes of TV of all time, according to me. Um, But what I quickly came to find out, however, was that while the list of five episodes itself was very easy to curate, as in I did not have to spend many hours laboring over what episodes did and did not warrant the title of the five greatest TV episodes of all time, I did realize that they were the five greatest TV episodes of all time for a reason, and that reason being is that there are many reasons (laughs) why they were um, considered to be just so exceptional as to make a top five list. Um, And so as I had started to record the fifth one on the list, uh, the episode in question that was considered to be the uh, fifth best episode was uh, a 15 minute runtime episode, but the amount of content that I had recorded for this podcast episode on it was about 45 minutes in length. And if that pattern were to continue for all five episodes on the list, we would come out with a five hour long epic of a podcast episode that no one would be able to tolerate listening to because that is just absolutely absurd. So I decided to settle on just one. And if you are going to pick one from a top five list, why not pick the best? Uh, And so we will be talking today about Mizumono, which is the 13th and final episode of season two of Hannibal. This episode also comes with some remarkable timing on my part as well. Um, due to the fact that the Silence of the Lambs is going to be celebrating its 30th anniversary uh, next month in early February. Um, So while we are not talking about Silence of the Lambs, uh, we are talking about essentially a uh, spin-off prequel question mark franchise um, that is very much inspired by Silence of the Lambs, and so it ends up working out quite beautifully with that anniversary. But enough about Silence and the Lambs, let's get right into Hannibal. Uh, So I will be providing a brief overview of the Hannibal television series before we get into the episode Mizumono, uh, because Mizumono is a series finale and it is not a um, series pilot. So there is um, some background knowledge that I feel as though is required um, to be given before we get into the details of why this is the greatest episode of TV of all time. Uh, That being said, there will be spoilers throughout this episode for Hannibal. Specifically on Mizumono, um, largely I will not be providing spoilers in such great detail as to ruin the entirety of the series for anyone who has not yet watched. Um, However, consider Mizumono to be completely ruined in all aspects, (laughs) as we will be doing a relatively deep dive into the contents of the episode, not just narratively, but also uh, cinemagraphically and uh, in terms of audio editing as well. So we will be uh, quite thoroughly exploring this episode. If you are interested in watching it on your own first, uh, without the spoilers, uh, consider yourself hereby warned. So, Hannibal is a psychological horror thriller television series that was developed by television auteur Brian Fuller for NBC. Let me give you a little bit of information about Brian Fuller before we go on, um, because as I did mention just now, he is considered to be a television auteur. Brian Fuller is an American television writer and producer known for his character-based scripting. Uh, His most notable television series would include Pushing Daisies, Hannibal, and American Gods. However, um, he got his start actually as a contributing writer for Star Trek Voyager and Deep Space Nine. Uh, And being as large of a Trekkie as he is, um, he is also the co-creator of the most recent Star Trek Discovery. 
Brian Fuller also wrote for a few episodes of Heroes, including the episode Company Man, uh, which is also considered to be one of the 100 greatest TV episodes of all time, uh, if you are to look at TV Guide's listing of those episodes. So Brian Fuller has a history of creating very well-liked episodes for very well-liked television series, and we'll keep that in the back of our mind as we continue forward with uh, Hannibal here. So Hannibal premiered on NBC uh, in 2013 and ran for three seasons for a total of 39 episodes until its cancellation in 2015. Two things here are very notable. Uh, the first being that this is a network television series developed for NBC, uh, and the second being that it was canceled. If you are to go out and to watch Hannibal on, say, streaming platforms such as Netflix, uh, I believe that to the audience member who might be watching these episodes of Hannibal on a streaming uh, platform, uh, but might not know that it was originally an NBC series, um, you might be a little bit, like, you might not come to the realization on your own that Hannibal uh, was actually not made for a streaming platform. There are several things about the show that really make it uh, stand out from everything else that was on network television at the time, uh, from its production budget to the um, high-class uh, art house, almost you could describe it as, cinematography, uh, very experimental form and style in storytelling, and also uh, its penchant for um, very high amounts of gore and body horror relatively uncensored uh, that you would absolutely not see on any other network series at the time, including some of the more um, risque ones, um, such as Criminal Minds, um, in which, you know, also focus around the catching of a serial killer, right? And this was absolutely a factor that had played into the series cancellation, alongside the fact that the show is incredibly queer. Brian Fuller himself is gay, and the show itself uh, features as its two main characters um, a, uh, we'll call it a very unhealthy, <laughs> um, to say the least, uh, gay relationship um, that is followed throughout the series. So, um, as you can imagine, that um, there was a lot of pressure being put on NBC um, once parent organizations uh, started to find out about the content of the show, um, very much pressuring the network to remove it, and eventually um, they did bow to that pressure. And this was despite the um, enormous amounts of critical acclaim that the series had actually um, garnered throughout its very short run. The first two seasons alone had each won a Saturn Award for Best Network Television Series, um, and actors um, had won Best Actor and Best Supporting Actor, and the third, the third and final season had won um, Best Action Thriller Television Series, um, and it is considered largely also by other counts to be um, one of the greatest television series of all time. So this is what we're getting ourselves into when we um, go to talk about Mizumono. And as we start to get into Mizumono here, I think that we need to acknowledge the um, the credits, uh, who's involved in the production of this episode that makes it the greatest TV episode of all time, right? So our writing credits go to Brian Fuller, who we have already been introduced to, and Stephen Lightfoot. Lightfoot is executive producer for 26 of the uh, 39 total episodes of Hannibal. He is also the executive producer for 24 of the 26 episodes of Marvel's The Punisher, um, which was created by Steve Lightfoot um, for Netflix, and he was also a consulting producer on a couple episodes of Narcos. So we've got a good team here with Lightfoot and Fuller being the writers for Mizumono. The director for Mizumono is a guy called David Slade, who the name might be familiar to you. I believe that probably the work that he might be most recently known for is for Black Mirror Bandersnatch, uh, which he also recently directed. He's also directed an episode of Breaking Bad, and he tends to work also, um, he has a history of working with Brian Fuller, that is, um, he directed several episodes of Hannibal and then has gone on to direct several episodes of American Gods as well. So we have quite a team here working on Mizumono. And absolutely, we can't forget about our cast. So let's do a cast rundown here of our characters so that as we start to talk about the episode, we know who is playing them and we know who is who. Um, so just to begin with our top build cast, um, we have Hugh Dancy, um, who is um, a little bit of like a more obscure actor, I would say. Um, he's kind of someone that like I very much recognize um, from Homeland. Um, he's been on, I believe, six episodes of Homeland very recently in the newest season, um, playing the character of John Zabel. 
Um, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, I may not be. <laughs> um, but before that, before, because uh, Hannibal, you know, remember we're talking about an episode that aired in 2014, so obviously um, he would not be known for a 2020 episode of Homeland. At this point, Hugh Dancy was known for being the prince in Ella Enchanted. And I'll just, I'll just leave that comment there. <laughs> Needless to say, in Hannibal, um, Hugh Dancy is not playing a fairy tale prince in a movie alongside Anne Hathaway. Uh, in fact, he is our, our lead character, uh, Will Graham, the detective. If you've seen any of the other um, films uh, that have been adapted from Thomas Harris novels, um, specifically um, either Red Dragon or Manhunter, um, in Red Dragon, this same character appears as played by Edward Norton. Uh, very, very popular film here. Um, Red Dragon and also is uh, Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter. It's part of that same set. Um, the lesser known adaptation, Manhunter, from the same book, Red Dragon, uh, he is played by William Peterson, uh, who uh, would later become the uh, character Gil Grissom in CSI Crime Scene Investigation. So same character, different face. And speaking also of same character, different face, our Dr. Hannibal Lecter in this is played by none other than Mads Mikkelsen. Now, Mads Mikkelsen might not be um, very well known to U.S. audiences, um, particularly around 2014 when Hannibal was airing, um, but Mads Mikkelsen is considered to be um, one of the biggest movie actors in Denmark, uh, the country that he is from. Uh, for American audiences, we would probably know him best as the um, villain Le Chiffre in the Daniel Craig James Bond film Casino Royale. And more recently, um, in Rogue One, a Star Wars story, he was Galen Erso for the minimal amount of time that he appeared in that movie. <laughs> Very difficult to to measure an actor's talent um, based on a you know very short death scene alone, um, but I, I can guarantee you that um, his his filmmaking um, in Denmark uh, speaks for itself, and his performance as Hannibal Lecter in Hannibal is absolutely I would say uh, rivaled to that of Anthony Hopkins in Silence of the Lambs. Right, he is absolutely phenomenal in this role. Other cast members that we're going to see appear in this episode include Lawrence Fishburne as Jack Crawford. Lawrence Fishburne um, might also, you might know him as uh, Morpheus from The Matrix, uh, playing this character of Jack Crawford, who is also in Silence of the Lambs as um, Clarice Starling's FBI mentor. Caroline Davernas as Dr. Alana Bloom, uh, who is a actual um, a gender-swapped version of the character Dr. Alan Bloom from the Thomas Harris novels. Um, Caroline Davernas is also a little bit of a lesser-known actress. Um, pretty much her credits um, just, just include Hannibal um, in terms of uh, notable... Um, and in terms of notable works, Gina Torres also has an appearance here in this episode as Jack Crawford's wife, Bella Crawford. Um, she, uh, G <laughs> I, I hope you all know who Gina Torres is. She's absolutely fantastic. Um, if you don't know her, um, she actually was also in the Matrix series alongside um, her husband at the time. Uh, and uh, she also was in the Firefly series. Um, she's also been in a couple episodes of Westworld in the um, in in the background a little bit. She plays a character called Lauren. She also voices uh, Ketsu Onyo in Star Wars Rebels and Star Wars Forces of Destiny. And her overall acting credits are about 10 miles long. She's just absolutely amazing. And then our last significant cast member in this episode is Casey Roll as Abigail Hobbs, a character created um, almost very specifically for Hannibal. Um, Casey Roll herself, um, also a little bit more of an obscure actress. Um, if you've ever seen the television series The Magicians, um, she plays Marina in that. Uh, very interesting protagonist antagonist protagonist depending on your perspective she plays the same type of swip, uh, switch uh, switch up role here in Hannibal where we're not quite sure whether she's innocent or not so that is our cast Hugh Dancy, Mads Mikkelsen, Caroline Davernas, Lawrence Fishburne, Gina Torres, and Casey Roll and our characters Will Graham, Hannibal Lecter, Alana Bloom, Jack Crawford, Bella Crawford, and Abigail Hobbs to give a very brief, um, generalized summary of the episode of Mizumono, um, the idea is that Jack Crawford has finally devised this plan to catch Hannibal Lecter in the act. Uh, Hannibal Lecter, in the meantime, however, is preparing to flee the country with Will Graham. Uh, little does he know that Will Graham is operating as a double agent in support of Jack Crawford, 
Or is he? Hmm. Uh, Will must make a decision as to whether or not he will help Jack Crawford catch Hannibal, or will he help Hannibal kill Jack Crawford? And to give a little bit of additional context, uh, I think it's important to note that the tension that ends up bubbling over in this episode ultimately has been being built since the first episode of season two. Um, episode one of season two, Kaisiki, uh, opens up with a um, with a clip from this final episode, Mizumono. Um, the clip itself is of the final confrontation between Hannibal Lecter and Jack Crawford. It depicts them fighting, and this serves as the cold open for Kaizaki. So the audience um, who have been viewing season two um, have known from the very first moments of season two um, that eventually Jack Crawford and Hannibal Lecter are going to attempt to kill kill each other um, but unfortunately um, the circumstances surrounding that uh, confrontation are not yet known to the audience and so the entirety of the season um, is essentially the 12 months leading up to Mizumono. And as I come to talk about Mizumono, um, I'm going to split the episode into two sections. Um, the first section I would like to call the prelude, um, and the second section, the fight. Um, the reason why I am referring to this episode in two separate sections instead of um, collectively as just one one episode is not due to the runtime of the episode or the episode being uh, split into two parts at the time of its premiere. Uh, rather, it's because of the way that the cinematography shifts about halfway through the episode. Uh, and I will I will talk about this as we get into it. So as we start to talk about the prelude, um, I want to mention that the prelude to this episode in particular manipulates time in a way that I haven't seen done in the cinematography of any other television series uh, ever before. I've seen it attempted before in several other films, but never on a television screen and um, never to um, this degree of effectiveness. And I think that this is one of the factors that um, definitely makes this episode uh, the best episode of television of all time. Now, what do I mean by manipulation of time? In this case, um, I'm not talking so much about, uh, say, Christopher Nolan's Tenet. I would say that if we were going to kind of compare it to a Christopher Nolan film, maybe Inception would be more of at least the tone of um, what's happening here. So the opening scene of the prelude depicts Hannibal Lecter uh, sending a handwritten note to Jack Crawford inviting him to dinner. And even if you don't know the larger context um, in which the episode is situated in, uh, I think that you can kind of surmise that a cannibal inviting you over to dinner is not really an invitation so much as it is a threat. And it shows Jack Crawford not only receiving this letter successfully, um, but immediately going and telling Will of the letter. Uh, in exchange, a Will starts to recount his therapy session with Hannibal Lecter. This is a previous uh, therapy session, and so what we're having at the same time as Jack is telling Will about the letter, Will is thinking of his therapy session with Hannibal, and these two scenes are intercut, the past and the present, uh, together. And what we're seeing is this uncanny similarity between the conversation that Hannibal is having with Will and the conversation that Jack is having with Will, in that they are both speaking of the plan. And what is the plan? Uh, the plan, from Hannibal's perspective, is that he will murder Jack Crawford, and together him and Will will flee the country. And from Jack's perspective, um, his plan is that uh, he will kill Hannibal Lecter or arrest Hannibal Lecter with Will's help and the two will emerge victorious. But the question that they both end up asking Will um, in a way that is um, edited together simultaneously so that both Jack and Hannibal are asking this question in co-concurrence is that uh, what will you do when the time comes and will you do what is necessary? And Will says, yes, but to whose plan? And thus starts the drama of the episode. In the background of this scene, in the entirety, um, kind of adding to the, the time manipulation of the scene in which we are seeing the present and the past happening at the same time, um, there is a sound of a ticking clock that is played consistently. And this continues not just within this scene, but within the entirety of the first half of the episode, which I am calling 
the prelude. Um, this clock um, is a part of the backing soundtrack, um, and it plays very consistently the entire time. You are always hearing the ticking of the clock to reinforce that this entirety of the prelude is leading up to something, which I am calling the fight. A little bit later into the prelude, um, we see Bella Crawford, um, who is sick, and she is in the hospital. Bella Crawford, remember, is the wife of Jack Crawford. Bella has been dying uh, from lung cancer throughout the uh, course of season two. Uh, she has been in terminal and final stages, and now um, the lung cancer is finally starting to um, reach its final course, and she is very much inches away from dying. She probably only has an estimated maybe two days total left to live at this point. Previously, actually, uh, Hannibal and Bella had had a conversation with each other, and during that conversation, Bella had stopped breathing and Hannibal had to perform CPR on her to bring her back to life. Um, the conversation that they have now in this episode is her saying that she isn't still alive because she wants to be alive. Uh, she is still alive because she knows about the profoundness of the loss, uh, the way that that loss will impact Jack, and it will impact him very negatively. And so the conversation that she's having with Hannibal is about um, saving Jack. Uh, she asks Hannibal, like, please save Jack, as he saved her life for Jack. Um, and so it is this very emotional scene um, in which we know is going to be very counter to Hannibal's actions. He is not going to acquiesce the request of a dying woman in this moment. Um, and she only has a matter of days left. Um, and of course, the background tracking continues to be the sound of this clock. Um, continuously um, chiming and beating and ticking um, to emphasize, of course, you know, the tension as we move towards the fight, but also how little time Bella Crawford has left. And these two scenes, the opening scene involving the note and the conversation, and the scene of Bella Crawford and Hannibal speaking to each other, are performed in a very specific way. Um, when I say that the prelude also has like a varying sense of time, uh, I mean also in the performance aspect, not just the, the sound of the clock or the way in which the editing is done to um, suggest a co-occurrence of different events at varying times. Um, the way that, that these scenes are performed are very slow. The dialogue is very intentionally spoken and very slowed down. Um, throughout these scenes, we will see the use of slow motion camera as well, which almost gives the impression that things are not happening quite as in real time as what we think that they would be. Um, the slow motion use of camera here is definitely to allow the audience to view the interiority of the characters a lot closer. Um, the, the slow motion camera tends to linger very specifically over um, people's meticulous actions, their movements, um, and the way um, that their expressions form on their faces. And it creates this very surreal look when coupled with the slowed down dialogue and the ticking of the clock. And this is something that exists only within the prelude. A notable example of the use of the slow motion camera to relay the interiority and the desires of the characters uh, takes place a little bit after the conversation between Bella and Hannibal. In this scene, Hannibal and Will are in Hannibal's office preparing for the final confrontation. As part of this preparation, Hannibal and Will are burning evidence. Specifically, they are burning all the evidence related to Hannibal's notes that he has had with his uh, psychiatric patients. As the audience knows at this point in the series, many of Hannibal's former patients have become killers. If you are familiar with the um, plotline of The Silence of the Lambs, the character of James Gum, aka Buffalo Bill, was a former patient of Hannibal Lecter's. And Hannibal may or may not have been uh, complacent in convincing him to murder. Throughout the first season of Hannibal, we see many of Hannibal's former patients in that exact same position. So burning the patient records, in effect, is Hannibal burning all evidence that the FBI could ever have on him ever having been conspiracy to murder. And Will is helping him do this. So at this point also, as we hear the clock ticking down towards the, the final confrontation, uh, we're starting to think maybe that Will isn't going to end up being aligned with Jack. 
I mean, if Jack's plan truly was to arrest Hannibal, then Will burning evidence would certainly not aid in that plan in the long term. And the conversation that Hannibal and Will have with each other in this scene kind of helps to reinforce that. Again, all the lines in this scene are spoken very deliberately, and all actions and movements are performed very slowly. Um, when papers are thrown into the fireplace as part of the evidence burning, the slow motion camera fixates on the fire. So that the, the weight of the fact that Will Graham is helping burn evidence really lingers with the audience. I would say that just as Will Graham is kind of starting to think through or make a decision or not make a decision as to whether or not he is helping Hannibal, um, we're feeling that same uh, tension within him as we're seeing the papers burn in slow motion. And seeing as it seems as though by the end of the scene he has made a very intentional decision to remain with Hannibal, um, the, the burning of the papers in slow motion seem to kind of put an emphasis on that finality. Like this is the decision that has been chosen and we have to stay with it. Something else that is very significant that happens in this scene in very deliberate slow motion and almost with the surrealist manipulation of time throughout the prelude is at one point when Will Graham's body comes relatively close to Hannibal's, Hannibal is able to catch the scent of a perfume on Will. The camera very much draws attention to the way in which Hannibal leans into Will's body to follow the scent that he has just caught. The camera is then given the perspective of Hannibal as he makes the connection as to whose perfume that, that is that is lingering on Will's skin. For the purposes of this podcast, the identity of the character is not necessarily as important as it is the fact that Will Graham had told Hannibal that he had murdered her in order to gain his trust. But seeing as he had supposedly murdered her several months ago, her perfume would not be freshly sticking to Will's skin. As the camera slightly pans out to show you that Will is continuing to toss fires of papers into fire. <laughs> As the camera slightly pans out and continues to show you that Will is still burning evidence into the fire, uh, we are drawn in slow motion to the attention of, of Hannibal's gaze as it turns quite dark in realization that he might be being betrayed. And the attention of the camera and the slow motion and the slowed performance of the actors really allows us to see the emphasized action as Hannibal realizes what is happening. Later that night, Hannibal has dinner with Will. And to all appearances, this seems to be a very intimate scene. I would say that another thing that sets um, this episode of Hannibal apart from all other episodes of television and makes it quite spectacular and makes it labeled in my mind as being the best episode of television of all time is the way in which the episode conveys notions of intimacy and the erotic through the way in which characters' bodies interact and through the way in which they share words as opposed to, say, nudity or explicit sexual content. The conversation that they have here is beautifully scripted. What they speak of is of a notion from psychoanalysis called an imago. And an imago is essentially the image of a loved one that has been buried deeply in the subconscious and will remain with you forever, right? This kind of uh, memory that is imprinted beyond death. And as they speak to each other about this psychoanalytic concept, they come to the conclusion that they both have this idea of each other in each other's heads. And that this idea that they hold in each other's heads, this memory of each other, uh, extends beyond the concept of the imago. Their relationship has expanded beyond any type of notion of relationship, any type of definition, escaping all words and all attempts to explain what it is. It is just simply um, this immaculate uh, notion in which they both hold um, between each other. And they share this moment of erotic intimacy with each other. Um, and as they do this, um, the camera, of course, the, the words are spoken very slowly. The clock is ticking in the background and the camera is paying very specific attention to the movements of their bodies and the responses of the actors in the scenes. The conversation continues to run its course and eventually Hannibal asks what Will has already thought that he would always have been a part of. Hannibal asks Will if Will will flee the country with him after Jack dies. 
and after Will seems to agree to Hannibal's proposition to flee the country with him, the two share a toast to truth. The truth being, of course, that Hannibal knows that Will is going to betray him. The entirety of the scene is framed as though it is a last supper with uh, Jesus, you know, asking Peter, will you betray me? Hannibal here asks Will essentially the same thing three times, and Will, of course, uh, claims to be on Hannibal's side. But the fact of the matter is, is that Hannibal, uh, much like Jesus in that sequence, knows the truth and knows that Peter, or Will, will betray him. And so the focus that the slow motion camera pays attention to is in this final moment of this toast to truth that they share. Hannibal raises the wine glass to his lips, but the wine barely touches. He does not allow himself to consume the lie. And now we move on to the final scene of the prelude. In this, Jack Crawford is inside of the offices of the FBI being confronted by an investigator for the Office of the Inspector General, who has been conducting an internal affairs investigation into Jack Crawford's methods for catching Hannibal Lecter. She has realized what Jack Crawford's plan is. That is, to use Will Graham to goad Hannibal Lecter into killing or attempting to kill Jack Crawford before arresting Hannibal Lecter in the act which will then prove him to be irrevocably guilty. She has found out about his plan and is shutting it down. This is, after all, entrapment. This is not legal. But the fact of the matter is that Jack Crawford simply does not care that this is not a legal means of catching Hannibal Lecter. He does not care that if he were to arrest Hannibal Lecter under these conditions, Hannibal Lecter would not be able to be tried accurately in a court of law because the evidence against him would not have been obtained in a legal manner. The case would be thrown out and Hannibal Lecter would never see conviction. But Jack Crawford does not care. This is personal. This is a vendetta. And the internal affairs investigator points out that Jack is distracted by Bella's sickness, and this is making him rash in his decision making. And this appears to be incredibly true, as the scene kind of comes to a close with Jack Crawford in slow motion camera, handing over his gun and badge as he is escorted from the premises of the FBI building, having decided to leave his career behind in pursuit of Hannibal Lecter. There is nothing that can be done to stop Jack at this point. The FBI cannot stop Jack, his friends cannot stop Jack, and not even Jack can stop Jack. At this point, Jack has also been informed by Will that Hannibal will intend to kill him. And Jack goes into this knowing that it is very likely that Hannibal is to succeed. Is this self-destructive scene an attempt for Jack to commit suicide? We're allowed to kind of linger on that question as the slow motion cam follows him and his expression and his determination and his sorrow as he's escorted from the FBI building. His last act is to visit Bella at home while she is asleep. It seemed as though when he approached her that he wanted to tell her something, but he decides not to wake her from her slumber. The last action that he performs is to kiss Bella on the head before he leaves. Once more throughout the entirety of this scene, the ticking of the clock continues in the background. At the same time, Will Graham's phone rings and it is Alana calling him in tears to warn him about Jack. And in turn, Will warns Hannibal. And that concludes what I refer to as the prelude as we move into the fight. Now, with the prelude being characterized by what I would call a manipulation of time in favor of the slow or the lingering, the fight is the exact opposite. That is not to say, however, that the fight takes place in quite real time. In fact, it appears as though the episode uses a different method of time manipulation the fight scene appears to be filmed at a completely different frame rate from the remainder of the episode. The result is that the fight appears to run faster than what you could ever possibly imagine in comparison. And with the show's penchant for showing and lingering even still in action scenes on the violence, blood, and gore of action, the result is this feeling of brutality unlike any that I have ever seen on television and have only seen in few films. 
This alongside of the outstanding choreography for the fight scene itself marks this as being one of the things that make this episode one of the greatest episodes of TV of all time. Let's run through the fight scene. Jack Crawford shows up in Hannibal's kitchen having arrived early for their dinner agreement. With Jack having arrived early, Hannibal is in the kitchen as well, preparing some type of meat which he is cutting with a knife. Jack attempts to quickly draw his weapon, but Hannibal is faster in throwing a knife. Jack raises his hand in an attempt to um, bounce the knife. I don't know what he's trying to do. Jack raises his hand up in an attempt to block the knife from entering square into his chest, and as a result, the knife embeds itself into the palm of his hand. Once more, with the series having an overall penchant for focusing on gore, the camera tracks the movement of the knife into Jack's hand and uses a slow motion shot to show you as Jack very slowly extracts the knife from his palm, which he intends to use as a weapon in self-defense as Hannibal leaps over the kitchen counter in an attempt to secure his kill on Jack. The two engage in a knife fight during which Jack's gun is dropped and Hannibal kicks it from underneath the fridge where it cannot be reached, and Jack loses hold of the knife. The two proceed to resort to a very intensive brawl of physically tackling each other and punching each other as much as possible, with Jack appearing to have the upper hand over Hannibal. The fight is very fast-paced and very brutal, with very high remarks going to Lawrence Fishburne and Mads Mikkelsen's performance as stunt actors in this. As I had mentioned earlier, Lawrence Fishburne had been in the Matrix series, and Mads Mikkelsen had performed in Casino Royale, both of which were action films which required stunt work. You can see in the way that these two perform the fight choreography that they are seasoned in their field and are not afraid to seem as though they are throwing real punches. According to some behind-the-scenes commentary, uh, they did both emerge from this scene with quite a few bruises. But Hannibal, realizing that he is about to be physically outmatched by Jack Crawford, who is physically stronger and taller, he realizes that he must uh, cheat in order to win this fight. Eventually, Jack Crawford is able to get his hands back on a knife, and Hannibal takes up a towel to defend himself against the knife attacks. Once Hannibal is successful in getting Jack Crawford to the ground, he proceeds to beat him with the door of a refrigerator in the face. Jack recovers very quickly, however, and proceeds to attempt once more to tackle Hannibal, who picks up a knife and tries to stab Jack. Jack is eventually able to get Hannibal to the ground once more, and using his tie, begins to strangle Hannibal. Hannibal pretends to be knocked unconscious by the strangling, and instead reaches for a piece of glass that was thrown from the cabinets when they were tackled earlier. He is able to reach up and stab Jack Crawford in the throat. This is considered to be the final blow of the fight as Jack Crawford is forced to retreat, hiding and barricading himself in the pantry of the kitchen while attempting to stop the bleeding from his carotid in whatever way he can. As he is making a tourniquet out of his tie in an attempt to stop the bleeding, Hannibal is seen to be throwing himself very bodily and very viciously at the door of the pantry, very much intending to not allow Jack Crawford to simply bleed out and die, but rather he must finish him himself. As Jack proceeds to drown in his own blood inside of the house, outside of the house it is raining and the audience comes to realize that Alana had not only decided to just call Will to warn him of Jack's actions, but have actually shown up at Hannibal's house with intent to intercept Hannibal and Jack herself. As Alana stands outside of the house in the rain, preparing for entry, she pulls a gun out of her purse, and the audience is drawn to the way in which the rain looks. The rain also appears to be filmed at a different frame rate from the remainder of the fight and the remainder of the episode, making the rain appear almost ethereal as it falls. Alana enters Hannibal's kitchen with her gun drawn to see Hannibal attempting to break down the pantry. But of course, Hannibal's target is not Alana, it is Jack, and even though Alana has her gun drawn at Hannibal, he states that he has no express interest in killing her. In fact, he seems to offer her a deal. 
If she leaves now and says nothing of what is happening, he will not visit her and kill her. If she stays or attempts to interfere, he will. Alana attempts to fire her gun only to realize that there are no bullets in the chamber. She quickly turns and runs and Hannibal pursues her while walking. Once more, we are treated to the slow motion camera in this action scene where it focuses on Alana at the moment of her fear as she turns and starts to run up the stairs. We see her expression of pure fear. As she runs up the stairs, however, we see another glimpse and use of this slow motion camera. Before continuing up the stairs after her, Hannibal in slow motion puts down the knife that he was holding. There also appears to be a smirk that forms on his face. Only after he is unarmed and knowing something that apparently we as the audience do not know and that Alana most certainly does not know either, he continues up the stairs. Alana barricades herself in an unknown room in Hannibal's house and reloads her gun. She fires several shots at the door to prevent Hannibal from breaking it down, and in her fixation on the door, she does not realize that there is someone else in that room with her. This someone else is Abigail Hobbs. Known to the viewing audiences in this episode, Abigail Hobbs is supposedly dead. Again, we return to slow motion in this scene, not through a slow motion camera, but rather the acting of the cast as Alana comes to the realization that Abigail is not dead, but rather that Hannibal has been hiding her in his house for about the entirety of a season. Abigail was presumed to be an innocent party. Throughout season one of Hannibal, Will Graham and Hannibal acted as almost adoptive fathers to Abigail, and then it was determined that Hannibal had been the one to kill Abigail, or was presumed to have killed Abigail. Little did anyone know that Abigail had also committed several murders during her time spent under the tutelage of Hannibal Lecter. What Alana feels in this moment is true betrayal, the most core betrayal of seeing who is essentially a child alive again and as an aggressor on Hannibal's side. The slow motion camera returns in full force as Abigail pushes Alana out of a window. Here we are treated to the slow motion falling of glass, of Alana's shocked body, and of the falling rain, all in synchronous as it happens in slow motion. Alana's body hits the concrete outside of the house hard, and we are treated to a mixture of blood, rain, and glass. It is here that Will Graham arrives at the scene. After calling for help for Ilana, who appears to be going into shock, Will Graham pulls his firearm and enters the house. And we are treated to a surrealist slow motion transition as we look up at the rain from Alana's perspective and see it transform into blood, which then is revealed to be coming from the throat of Jack, who is still barely clinging to life inside of Hannibal's pantry. Jack is able to pull his phone out of his pocket, but rather than call for help, he tries to call Bella. Will enters the kitchen, and instead of being met by Hannibal attempting to kill Jack, he is instead met by a crying Abigail. He is disarmed by the sight of his crying daughter, and Will now begins to realize the gravity of the offer that Hannibal had given him at dinner the night before. When Hannibal had offered for Will to run away with him, he had offered instead Will a family, that the three of them would start over together in a different country, and that in Will making the decision to side with Jack ultimately, Will has sacrificed his family. Will turns slowly and the camera turns with him to reveal that Hannibal is standing behind him. Recalling back that when Will had first received the phone call from Alana warning him about Jack's actions, Will had sent that same phone call to Hannibal warning him about Jack. Will seems to have hoped that Hannibal would have left and would have fled upon receiving that phone call instead of staying to remain confrontational. He says to Hannibal, you were supposed to leave, and Hannibal responds, we couldn't leave without you and we return to the erotics of Hannibal that is so characteristic of this entire series. 
Will turns into Hannibal to begin an embrace, and Hannibal reaches his hand up to cup Will's face. We are drawn attention to these movements with the slowness of the camera work and the slowness and deliberation of the actors as they perform these motions. We see also, however, a sorrow in Hannibal's face. This does not appear to be a happy reunion, and the camera flashes to a knife in Hannibal's hand. As Hannibal pulls Will into an embrace, he stabs the knife into Will's guts and proceeds to disembowel him, holding Will all the while. As Will whimpers and bleeds out in Hannibal's arms, Hannibal pets his hair and holds him tightly in his arms. As blood begins to puddle on the floor, Hannibal speaks of the place that they had tried to make in the world for each other together, including Abigail, and confirms that he had intended to start the family with them that it was going to be a surprise, and that Will ruined it. Hannibal allows Will to fall to the floor, and Will struggles to prop himself up against the kitchen counter. The separation of their two bodies here absolutely is very representative of the break in their relationship that has just occurred. And to emphasize the betrayal that Hannibal feels over this entire situation, over the way that Will has so carelessly destroyed their family, Hannibal beckons Abigail over. She takes his hand. They begin to embrace, and Hannibal slits her throat in front of Will, their daughter dying. Together, Abigail and Will begin to bleed out on the floor of the kitchen, and Hannibal leaves the house, stepping over the body of Alana in shock. The episode ends with the camera taking on Will's perspective, assuming his point of view. As Will begins to lose blood and lose consciousness, the camera begins to fade to black, ending the episode on a black screen, which then opens to the credits, and the credits are placed over a image of clouds and blue skies. This image of the fade to black of death into the clouds of the afterlife make it very, very, very pointed that the characters involved in this scene have just died. And so Mizumono ends with a body count of four of the main characters of the series, with Jack, Alana, Will, and Abigail dead. I think it is important to note at this point that with there being so many deaths of the main characters within a single episode, this episode was considered to be incredibly shocking to audiences as it was viewed live. While the Game of Thrones episode The Reigns of Castamere had aired the summer before this episode of Hannibal, the threat of the deaths of main characters was not a threat that was cemented in the minds of viewing audiences at this time, when the norm, especially for broadcast television series, was to have a show that would go on for 12 seasons with the characters and cast remaining absolutely stagnant and the same. So to have a season 2 finale end with the deaths of four characters from your main cast, that was unheard of. I think that there is not another television series ending on, on network television that has had such a profound impact on its audiences at the time of it airing, other than perhaps a few episodes of Game of Thrones, but when it comes to Game of Thrones, I would say that the overall content of the episode just falls flat in comparison to the overall content of the episode Mizumono. I think that the experimental style and presentation of the episode remains absolutely unparalleled. And further emphasizing this, I think, is the end credit sequence. Many shows and films now have often an end credit sequence integrated into their storylines. I think when we think of end credit sequences now, we think most of the Marvel films. But the thing about the Marvel films is that the end credit scenes are often very missable in that the credits very sharply begin to roll, and then the credits very sharply end and are interrupted with the end credit scene, and then the credits begin to very sharply flow again. That is not the case with this episode of Hannibal. As Will Graham dies and the camera fades to black, it fades back into this scene of the sky and the clouds and looking very bright and blue and happy. And the effect is that you have a smooth transition from the end of the episode into the credits 
which very, very easily eases the audience into the credits, even if emotionally they are not very easily eased. I think that the final moment of the episode, the way that it is filmed, encourages the audience to kind of stay into the credits, absolutely dumbstruck, jaws dropped, cannot believe what they have just seen. And the end credit sequence is ushered in with as equally as smooth of a transition, as a plane interrupts the blue skyline. It is then revealed that Hannibal Lecter is on this plane, an Air France flight. And even though he is leaving the country without his family, he is still leaving. This is not an in credit sequence which members of the audience miss, and it is in fact the transition into Season 3. A Season 3 which to viewing audiences live to air would view as being uh, very lonely. The official announcement that Hannibal was renewed for Season 3 had come out about a week before the premiere of Mizumono. So to all viewing audiences' intents and purposes, it appeared as though Season 3 was just going to be Hannibal Lecter's story, and no longer the story of Hannibal Lecter and Will Graham. The finality of these last shots, the permanence of the death that they seem to be portraying, leaves it undeniable to the audiences that they have just witnessed the death of four characters in a single episode. And I think for that reason, as well as all of the ones that has been listed throughout this episode of the podcast, Hannibal Season 2, Episode 13, Mizumono, is the greatest episode of television of all time. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Cineposium Podcast, and I hope that you were able to enjoy this analysis of this episode of Hannibal. I hope that it has inspired you to pick up the series and watch it. I would encourage you that if you are going to watch this episode, Mizumono, on Netflix, where it is streaming for free, that you instead consider picking it up on a different streaming site, perhaps Amazon Prime, and paying for it. The reason being is that this episode is silently censored on Netflix, and it contains the cutting of several close-ups of gore, violence, blood, and quite frankly, fantastic acting. And I assure you that every moment of Mizumono, including the ones that were not covered in this overview of this episode, are worth watching in their entirety, uncut, unedited, and as Brian Fuller intended them to be presented. This has been Cineposium's Alex Apicella on the greatest TV episode of all time. Have a good night. That's it for our show this week. Thank you for listening and for your support. Please subscribe to the show on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram at Cineposium and on Twitter at Cposium to keep up with our updates and to keep in communication with us. Until next week, take care, everyone. <laughs>